0: Please be seated. Our first reading is from the Psalm, 20, Psalm 82. God has taken his place in the divine council, In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Give justice to the weak and the orphan. Maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk around in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I say, you are gods, children of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, you shall die like mortals and fall like any prince. Rise up, O God, judge the earth for all the nations belong to you. The word of the Lord.
1: First, I want to thank Janet. She showed up at church today and realized she was doing double or triple duty, and she has been faithful this morning. So thank you, Janet. (laughs) Our second scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The word of the Lord. I sat at my desk in one of the larger classrooms at Vanderbilt Divinity School, and I was anxious. It was the beginning of the second semester of my first year, and I was dreading my New Testament class. I have already confessed to some in this uh, church that I dropped out of Greek on the first day. So, I was nervous about New Testament. You see, I had heard things about this professor. She was mythic, a legend. Stories floated around the Divinity School, passed from student to student one of the hardest professors I've ever had. When you turn in a paper, you'll get comments in red ink that are longer than the paper was to start with. She pushes you, she expects the best from you, she demands hard work and commitment. Her name is Dr. Amy Jill Levine. She is one of the best New Testament scholars in the country. She is a gifted researcher and writer, an incredible teacher, and a faithful Jew, and when she walks into a room, she commands the attention of every person gathered. She is all of five foot two, a petite woman, and she always wears fabulous heels. On that first day of class ten years ago, she strode into the classroom in at least three inch shoes, walked to the front of the room, promptly kicked them off, and then barefoot and poised as all get out, she began her lecture. At some point on that first day of our class together, she said these words. Jesus should startle you. Jesus' teachings should shock you. And if he doesn't and they don't, you're doing something wrong. Jesus should startle you. His teachings should shock you. And if he doesn't and they don't, you're doing something wrong. Today, we are diving into the parable of the Good Samaritan. For some of us, it's a well-known story. A wounded man is lying in a ditch, and a Samaritan stops to help him. Often in the church, we package this parable very neatly. It fits into the fairly straightforward box of be nice, and then we wrap it in the paper of give to charity when you can, And then we put a big old domesticated bow on it and interpret its general meaning to be, be nice to your neighbors. Now, I know for the people of 7th Street, we can safely say we've got this interpretation of the parable taken care of. We know how to be nice to people, and it's fairly simple to donate to charities, and we do that well. And I am so proud to be a part of this congregation. We are nice to our neighbors, we talk to the folks at the Greek Orthodox Church and whoever parks in our parking lot, whether or not we know them, and we're as kind as we can. Check, check, check. I guess we've got it all taken care of and we're all done. Next. Not so fast, though. Because then there's Dr. Amy Jill Levine and her words that greet us here this morning as we consider this 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Jesus should startle you. His teachings should shock you. And if he doesn't and they don't, you're doing something wrong. It has been said that a Christian should approach the world with a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. As people who strive to follow Jesus, we must make sure our faith is engaging the world and what's unfolding around us. We cannot keep ourselves separate and removed from current events, but instead we must be present with our feet firmly planted on the front lines as life moves and changes in our midst. And right now, it's not just the Bible in our left hand and the teachings of Jesus that should shock us this morning. The newspaper, in our other hand, should also shock us, too. Because the front lines of our world in this moment are indeed shocking, uncomfortable, and painful to observe. Last week, many of us opened the newspaper, or scrolled through Facebook, or turned on the television to see startling pictures of immigrant children in detention camps. Now, I know we may feel differently here at 7th Street about issues of immigration, and that is okay. I am not going to tell us how we should feel about immigration. One of the beautiful things I actually love about this church and this tradition is that we get to believe whatever we want, and every week we show up together and we do church. We gather at the table, and I love it. But no matter where we are on the political spectrum, it never feels good to open your newspaper or turn on the television and see pictures of children behind fences, sleeping under aluminum blankets, living on mats or cots pushed edge to edge, crammed into spaces where no child should ever be asked to live. Let alone hundreds and hundreds, thousands and thousands of children, some separated from their parents through forced separation, and some of them dying while under our care. This is what the newspaper we hold in our hands is telling us right now. And if we are reading with a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other, then surely, surely the Bible must have something to say to this situation. Jesus should startle you. His teaching should shock you. And if he doesn't and they don't, you're doing something wrong. So let's look at again at our parable this morning. The parable of the Good Samaritan. A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half-dead. The first man we meet in this parable, our victim of violence, is walking an incredibly dangerous path as he makes his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jesus' audience, those gathered around Jesus that morning as he shared this parable, they would have known that and they would have felt uncomfortable and uneasy as they waited for the rest of the story. It was a busy road, but the terrain was incredibly isolated, and there were lots of hiding places and escape routes for bandits or those seeking to do violence to hide, and no one could possibly pursue them after their crime. Attacks happened on this road every day, all of the time. You avoided the road to Jericho whenever you could, but for some reason, this man had to travel it. It is the way he must go to do what he needs to do. And Jesus' audience would have been alert and worried for him the minute Jesus started mentioning this road. They would have perked up and been uncomfortable as they listened. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now it is tempting, and I have always done this until I was researching this week for this scripture, when we hear this part of the scripture to judge the priest and the Levite immediately. Why wouldn't they help? What's wrong with these people? Thank God I'm not like that. But we need to dig a little deeper, otherwise our interpretation of this parable, if we're not careful, can become anti-Semitic or anti-Jewish. And we make all kinds of assumptions about the priests and the Levites of this time. You see, we have to remember that parables are a story. And in Jesus' time, it was commonplace for a story to begin with the phrase, a priest and a Levite came by just as we might begin a story or a joke today with a doctor, a lawyer, and a priest walked into a bar. (laughs) And just as we know that when someone says a doctor, a lawyer, and a priest walked into a bar, they're going to tell a joke. Back in the day, when someone said a priest and a Levite came by, everyone in the audience would have known that the next person in that phrase was an Israelite. So whenever anyone started a story with a priest and a Levite came by 2,000 years ago, the folks gathered there knew that the person the story was about was an Israelite. The Israelite was the natural next step. The only character possible to enter the story. But the text continues. A Samaritan, while traveling near him, saw him and he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever you spend. This is where the parable would have truly shocked Jesus' audience 2,000 years ago. And it should shock us today, because it wasn't an Israelite that showed up to help, like Jesus' audience would have been expecting. It was a Samaritan. And Samaritans were the arch enemies of the Israelites. Both the Israelites and the Samaritans made claims about being the true followers of God. They had set up rival temples. They all thought that they were the closest to God, and because of that, they hated each other. Every member of Jesus' audience knew that the Samaritans were no good. A.J. Levine teaches and writes that Jesus' audience, upon hearing that it was a Samaritan who helped the wounded man, would have been dumbfounded and aghast. It would have been like us hearing this story today and learning that it was a murderer or a terrorist or someone equally cast as villainous and evil in our world today. The parable of the good murderer who helped the man on the side of the road. And the Samaritan doesn't just help the wounded man, he offers him ongoing support. Did y'all notice that? He takes him to an inn, and he works on him for a while, and then he has to go. So he gives the innkeeper whatever the innkeeper needs to continue to help this man. Spend whatever it takes, he tells the innkeeper. I've got this Samaritan. I will pay for it. Jesus should startle you. His teachings should shock you. And if he doesn't and they don't, you're doing something wrong. With our Bible in one hand and our newspaper in the other, Jesus and the parable of the Good Samaritan have a response for us this morning. A response to those pictures of children in detention centers behind fences, sleeping cot to cot, separated from their parents, some sick. Because you see, those children would have walked across and through dangerous territory. They have moved in torturous, treacherous spaces, because it is what they must do to find safety. Maybe it was their parents who led them. Maybe they were forced out of their homes in other countries, but for whatever reason, they found themselves on a dangerous road. Much like that road to Jericho. And they had no option but to walk it. And now they are wounded. Now they, like the victims in Jesus' parable this morning, have experienced systemic pain and violence, and they are there on the side of the road waiting for someone to help them. And it is tempting for all of us to share opinions about the worth of these children and their parents. We may think they are our enemies, less than somehow undeserving of our hope and our help. But no matter what we think, About their parents or about immigration, that doesn't separate us from the fact of these children. Jesus should startle you, his teachings should shock you, and if he doesn't and they don't, you're doing something wrong. Go and do likewise are the final words we hear from Jesus this morning. Go and do likewise. I can't think of a better benediction. There is a man and he sees someone he despises on the side of the road and he steps over and without questioning the victim's motives or worth, he helps him. He helps him with his whole self, offering all of his resources for continual support of the one before him who is in need. And this morning we are commanded, told, no matter how uncomfortable it may be, to go and do likewise. We already do this in so many ways. And I know we can keep doing it, 7th Street, because I know us and I am proud to be a part of this congregation. So let us go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. May it be so. Amen.